This is a, a talk, a, a paper which is in fact part of a wider project that I'm sort of doing on what I call pilgrimage and marketing, and uh, which relates to issues such as consumerism and heritage and so on and so forth. And it draws on research that I've done in Japan, but in all sorts of other places as well. Okay, so... It start with the general proposition that pilgrimage is pretty much a universal uh, uh, phenomenon that can be found anywhere uh, in any particular across religions, traditions, regions, and so on. And I was struck recently by reading a book by the American scholar James Lochtefeld, who's a specialist on who's doing research on hardware in India, uh, the Indian pilgrimage site, and he notes he said that he visited Assisi, the Catholic pilgrimage site in Italy, and he said when he was there, he suddenly found himself asking the question, I've never been here before, so why does this feel so familiar? And then, of course, he realised it was because he'd been doing research in Harwa, in another pilgrimage centre, and there was a familiarity across. And the same thing I would say is... um, true of my feelings whenever I go to pilgrimage sites, whenever I go somewhere, you know, I've done most of my field work in Shikoku in Japan and various other sites, but prior to going there, I'd done I'd travelled around and I'd visited lots of pilgrimage sites just through travelling in India and other parts of the world, so when I finally got to Japan, a lot of the pilgrimage sites looked very familiar, and after working in Japan, I started visiting pilgrimage sites elsewhere, like Noki in Ireland, Einsiedeln in Switzerland, and of course other great pilgrimage sites like Graceland, uh, Elvis Presley's home, and Grave in Memphis, uh, that have been interpreted by some people as places of pilgrimage. And wherever I went to these places, I always felt I was going somewhere very familiar. And so, in a sense, this goes back to my point uh, that I made in the book on Shikoku about utilising, say, Japanese pilgrimage models as a way of reading pilgrimage in general. There is a kind of familiarity, a general, uh, a, a kind of a linking, and you can see global similarities. When I actually I gave this a similar talk, or I was at a conference in Santiago de Compostela just before Christmas, and there David Gitlis, an American scholar who's written a lot on pilgrimage, particularly on Santiago, was talking, he was talking, we were discussing this, and he made the comment that he said when he went to Graceland, he said, you could almost feel like you were in Lourdes. And I said in response to him, I've never been to, I've been to Graceland, I've never been to Lourdes, but I hope that when I go there I will say, wow, it almost feels like being in Graceland. So I think there is a kind of familiarity there. So a theme I want to talk about today is looking at some patterns in the promotion and representation of pilgrimage in a variety of contexts, particularly using the Shikoku as my main model, my main thing, to show that how similar phenomena that are appearing there are being either replicated elsewhere or that they link in with themes in other pilgrimages in other parts of the world. I'm particularly interested in how pilgrimage, people involved in pilgrimages kind of look at other pilgrimages and take ideas from them. This is something that we've talked about in the study of Japanese pilgrimages in her recent book, uh, book a few years ago, Sarah Tal writing about the great uh, uh, pilgrimage, Shinto pilgrimage site of Kompira, talks about how even in the 16th, 17th, 18th century, the priests of Kompira used to go around Japan to other pilgrimage sites to copy, to see what's going on there. 
you know, to copy the ideas and bring them back to, to generate more custom for their own pilgrimage site. In my research in Japan, I've talked to lots of pilgrimage priests of pilgrimage temples who've done, who do similar thin, things. And one of the things that fascinates me, which I'll come out later on here, is how they're now not just copying within and just looking in, inside, but going outside of Japan as well to take models. And in doing this sort of thing, I'm going to suggest there are a number of patterns that are emerging in a kind of global context in contemporary pilgrimage. Um, and that possibly have great significance for the directions of pilgrimage in the modern day. And here I'm going to identify three themes which I think are related and they covered by the terms the sanitisation of pilgrimage, its heritageization, and its depiction as a product and manifestation of cultural tradition and its transformation into hiking trails and convenient holiday nations destinations suited to the aspirations of people in the modern secular world. Um, and all of these things suggest an increasingly secular dimension to pilgrimage. I'm very well aware that those themes have always been around, but an increasingly secular dimension to pilgrimage is in the modern world, one which is removing some of the themes that have often been in traditional literature associated with it, such as miracles and indeed faith. In her study of the French pilgrimage site of Lourdes, Catherine Notemans shows how over the past century, or suggests that Catholic officials there have sought to project a kind of rational face to the pilgrimage, to the shrine and what goes on there, announcing, for example, that the shrine's waters have no therapeutic value or healing elements to them, and making it hard, despite, of course, the fame of Lourdes as a miracle healing place, um, have made it hard to validate Miracles. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's since 1859, according to Nottomans, only 50, 67 claims of healing as miracles have been ratified, the most recent one taking 50 years to complete the process of ratification. But what struck me about what Nottomans' study was that she noted also that the authorities there had removed any physical signs uh, that pointed to the presence of miracles by taking away objects such as crutches, uh, that have been left behind by pilgrims who claim they've been healed there. The, the apparent wishes, obviously, of the, the, the authorities, the Catholic authorities, to downplay those, those themes uh, can be rooted or can be seen also in some of the contexts of political, you know, the political social contestations that surrounded Lourdes from the outset in the, in, in the conflicts between the religious and the secular, secularising forces of 19th century France. Um, and in a sense, one can see that that pattern of uh, trying to downplay some of the inverted commas irrational, miracle-focused elements of Lourdes by the church and by the authorities is rooted in that structure. But what struck me about her study was that as I read it, I thought, well, wait a minute, I've seen, I'm seeing the same things going on in Japan. Because you can see, for example, on the Shikoku pilgrimage, um, which is for those... Well, it's, it's a pilgrimage that goes around the Japanese island of Shikoku, takes in 88 temples. If you walk it, it's a 900-mile journey. Most people these days do it by bus or car, but it involves taking, eight, it taking in 88 temples. One of those temples, known as Iyatanaji, which is the 71st temple on the route, is famed, or used to be famed in pilgrimage law, for its miracle stories. It's situated on a mountainside, 
to get there, even if you go by bus, where you come to the car park at the bottom of the hill, you still have to ascend a huge mountainous uh, pile of steps to get to the top. Um, and there are all sorts of legends and stories of, of miracle that happen there, where physically disabled pilgrims have kind of limped up to the top and then been healed and cured. And the physical reminders of such stories are scattered all over the side of the temple. There's a, up by the main hall, up on the final staircase going up to the main hall, there's this great array of uh, crutches, uh, leg braces, and all sorts of uh, accoutrements that have been cast aside by so-called healed pilgrims. And such pictures regularly appear in guidebooks. They even appear in my book, of, my book on Shikoku with a stuff about this whole issue. And every time I went to Iyatamiji, many times, it was a constant source of excitement and talk among pilgrims. When I t- went round with a party of pilgrims in 1991, the pilgrim guide, the Sendatsu, who led the party, fueled everybody up with the story of mir- the miracles and all this stuff. And, of course, the pilgrims got very, very excited as we ascended the stairs and got there. And... Uh, because they could see these physical signs. Now, they were all pretty old, I will note. They were all pretty old. They weren't, very, they weren't any modern ones. They weren't any modern crutches. They, they, all, they all dated from the earlier part of the 20th century, but they were still a visible reminder of that association with miracles. So, here we are in April 2005. My book is just about to come out. The, you know, it's, it's in press. It's about coming out in a couple of months' time with the picture in it. I'm in Japan with my family, my kids, and they want to go and see this strange place that Dad's written a book about. So I take them, and we walk along part of the pilgrimage route. We get to it, we walk up to Iyatanji. Of course, by the time they're getting to the top of the steps, they get, they're starting to get a bit antsy and saying, well, how far, much farther is it? And I said, well, just keep going, because we just get round the corner and you'll see something really interesting. So we get to the place where we're going to see something really interesting. We see this beautifully newly painted wall with no crutches. <laughs> so I lost face. Um, <laughs> and then I went up to one of the priests and I said, well, where are these things? I assume I'd just taken them away to both of them and redecorate them. They just said, just said oh, we've taken them away, got rid of them. And I asked why, and he said, well, it's got a kind of image of old, you know, age and the past and so on, it doesn't fit with the modern ambience of the pilgrimage. We don't want that sort of image anymore. anymore. Um, and we'll see why in a while. But, you know, they're a remnant of the past, indicative of the past era of rumours, miracles and superstition, which don't fit with the modern age and so on. I talked to various other people in Chicago and they said very, very similar things. So, this was a. Um, this this is an example of taking away of sanitising what's go, of, of of the pilgrimage to make it fit. Uh, take away things that seem to be out of step with the modern age. Another such example is that in recent years, um, a traditional practice in Shikoku has been the practice of what's called in Japanese takuhatsu, begging for alms, which is a very Buddhist practice, but pilgrims in Chicago have traditionally done this. In the ages when pilgrims, a lot of the pilgrims were very poor, it was a way of sustaining themselves. It was also a way of being part of the Buddhist ethos, you know, you know the pilgrim as, as a kind of 
contemporary Buddhist monk and so on. And it, it's a very strong custom. It used to be a strong custom in Shikoku to give alms to pilgrims. And this was, a case, this was the case right through until very, relatively recently. And then from the 50s onwards, 1950s onwards, as pilgrimage has become more and more a kind of a comfortable exercise. We've seen the rise, and I've written about in my book on Chicago, the rise of the bus tour, um, better, better lodges and so on, and a more a better off class of pilgrim. And the pilgrimage started to cater more and more for people who come from the big cities who are well off and who want to do a kind of tour of Shikoku but don't need to beg for arms and don't necessarily want to walk, it started to die out. However, because Japan then went into recession and we started to see the rise of out-of-work people going off on pilgrimage again, there's a whole phenomenon there needs to hasn't been properly explored yet, um, you start to see Takuhatsu coming back as people lose their jobs and decide to go and make this pilgrimage to find themselves in the modern, you know, find, find themselves and uh, redefine themselves and so on. Yet, in the modern times, although beggar pilgrims were widely accepted in the past, this doesn't seem to be the case now. In the year 2007, the Shikoku temples put up notices at all the temples banning pilgrims from doing takuhatsu, from begging at the temples or at the temple gates. Um, in a recent article by a young Japanese scholar called Hamaya Mariko, um, she notes and uh, um, she, she comments that the concern of the temples was that these mendicant pilgrims might upset other visitors and might tarnish the modern image of pilgrimage. Um, although temples, the temples emphasised tradition as a selling point in their promotional materials. The image that they construct, and I'll say a bit more, about, um, pil uh, about in, uh, uh, the tradition has been carefully tailored to suit a market of better-off urban Japanese who travel by organised tours and modern conveyances and so on, rather than a tradition of destitute foot pilgrims. So, in other words, they want to get rid of them, they want to get, get rid of them to stop the... Uh, so because they feel they might harm the image being projected uh, of the pilgrimage. There's a market, obviously there's a market-related dynamic at work in these cases, um, where the eradication, if you like, of signs and signifiers of the past, of past practices and superstitions, whether at Lourdes with its removal of crutches or... Uh, uh, in Shikoku, with its removal of clutches and banning of, pil banning of beggars, uh, there is a kind of commonality here in that uh, they both represent what I would term a sanitising process through which pilgrimage sites are, in the present day appear to be distancing themselves from their seemingly irrational pasts so as to fit more into, to, into the contours of the modern day. Um, it's certainly the case in Shikoku that when such paces of the past project an image of poverty or of disease, they can conflict with the modern aspirations of the temples and the images they, and indeed the regional authorities and regional tourist authorities, are seeking to project and with the clientele they are seeking to attract. 
Indeed, it is not just a process in, of sanitisation, but it is also a, protest, a, 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 a process of sanitisation, but I think it's also in tune with what I call a turn to... And I hate using when people stick the word isation on things, and I always cringe when people do it, but I'm going to do it here. A turn to heritageization, the process whereby pilgrimages are increasingly projected as cultural products steeped in notions of heritage through which pilgrimage gets transformed from primarily a faith-based issue into something that's akin to a cultural tour. Just to very quickly summarise some stuff I did on uh, Shikoku and its modern pilgrimage and its modern development, until the 20th quite late on in the 20th century, the Shikoku pilgrimage largely was a preserve of poor pilgrims on foot. In the 1940s, early 1950s indeed, uh, it was, there was, the temples were semi-derelict and it, pilgrims were scarce. One can see actually very similar patterns to say Santiago de Compostela in this way of a pilgrimage that was dying out and then got revived through all sorts of cultural uh, forces and publicity and so on. Uh, as I've written about, discussed with Shikoku, um, partially tied to Japan's economic development and growth, um, partially the rise of bus tours and publicity and so on, and Shikoku being sold as a kind of cultural product of the region made the pilgrimage increasingly popular. And as we got more and more older, better-off pilgrims from the cities, we've seen a massive growth in this pilgrimage. And this has been very closely tied into the ways in which the, both the mass media and the temples themselves have depicted the pilgrimage as a... and to the ways it's been represented in, in fora such as uh, the television and uh, in the mass media in which it has been effectively sold as a product to the wealthy consumerist urban economy of Japan. Um, this has been particularly so in the way that the pilgrimage has been picked up and developed by agencies such as NHK, the Japanese National Broadcaster, and by regional tourist authorities, always, I would note, in cooperation with the pilgrimage temples themselves, uh, in ways that have focused on what I call idealised images of pilgrimage. For example, if you see prog television programmes about Shikoku, which appear quite regularly, on, on, uh, particularly on NHK, or if you look at the guidebooks that the temples produce, if you look at the publicity they produce, they always show us pilgrims dressed in spotless white clothing amidst beautiful scenery. Now, if you travel around Shikoku, you see those bits of beautiful forested scenery very occasionally. Most of the pilgrimage runs along highways. Ironically, too, that image of tradition, of the traditional pilgrim, wearing white, is a modern, one of those great modern inventions. It came about because of the bus tours. The first bus tours wanted the people that rode on the buses to wear white so they'd be identifiable as part of the party. And then it becomes kind of reinvented or pr produced as an image of tradition. And one of the great selling points of Shikoku is that by going there, going on the pilgrimage, you are touching the great traditions, cultural traditions of Japan. You're taking part in part of your cultural heritage. And 
Interestingly, as we see with many other pilgrimages, the guidebooks and the materials that get produced to go along with it um, increasingly incorporate touristic elements, emphasis on culture, um, sorry, comforts, places where pilgrims can spend money and enjoy the delights on the way, uh, culinary delights, good restaurants, uh, comfortable hotels and tourist sites and so on. So the pilgrimage becomes increasingly uh, depicted as a cultural tour. And this is particularly emphasised in, in, uh, in the NHK broadcasts I've mentioned before. And here we need to remember that NHK, one of its kind of remits is to promote, as the national broadcaster, is to promote concepts of Japanese culture, tradition, and heritage. It's kind of written into its remit. But because it is a state, or it's a publicly funded organisation, the laws say... In Japan, we have a secular constitution. They'll say it cannot spend money to promote religion. And when I've, inter I've interviewed a number of producers and directors of these programs, of NH NHK directors and producers, they all say the same thing. Pilgrimage is popular. It's a great thing because it's, it's good to make documentaries about because it fits in with the culture remit that we have. But we have to always emphasise it as culture and tradition not as to anything to do, we have to leave out things to do with faith, miracle and so on because they can be seen as promoting religion. So you've got that dynamic going on. And it's interesting to note that the Shikoku temples themselves go along with this in a very big way. So, in a sense, I will, just to skip over a few things, the pilgrimage has been promoted and grown as an item increasingly promoted as an item of cultural heritage, removing the signs of miracle and so on. And it is in that context that we come to see how the Shikoku pilgrimage now has started to, has looked elsewhere across the globe as part of its latest attempt to pro promote itself. And that is through the, through the attempt to become declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. In 2007, December 2007, the Shikoku temples, in conjunction with the four regional governments, prefecture governments of Shikoku, 58 towns and cities, mayors in Shikoku, made an application to the Japanese Ministry of Culture to be put forward to UNESCO as a World Cultural Heritage Site. The reason for doing this was to um, part of an attempt to regenerate the region. If you, Shikoku is actually economically in very, a very bad way. Um, it's suffering from falling population and uh, its traditional industries and so on are declining. And this has caused serious problems and has caused both the national government to say to the regional governments, try and find some way of boosting the economy, and the regional government's doing it. And the one thing that they all agree on, the one thing that all the four prefectures of Chicago share is their pilgrimage. It's the thing that brings people to the island, and therefore they've alighted on this, and they've, they've alighted on this as the way to regenerate the uh, economy. And it's interesting to note that this heritage, this campaign to get Shikoku declared as a World Heritage Site has been heartily engaged in by not just 
the temples and the regional government, but the local chambers of commerce. I spent time uh, a year and a half ago interviewing all these big wigs from the different chambers of commerce, including the people, the, the head of uh, Coca-Cola, Shikoku, as well, which is helping fund the campaign. And it's in this context I go back to the idea of copying and getting ideas from elsewhere, because it's where we have to look across the globe to the famous... European pilgrimage of Santiago de Compostela, because it is the accreditation of Santiago de Compostela as, world, as a world heritage site, both not just the town, but the pilgrimage as a world heritage site, that has presided the Shikoku temples with a precedent and an example. Um, I won't go into any great detail, because there's plenty of literature on Santiago to... Uh, uh, I haven't done any research on it, of course, uh, on, on the pilgrimage itself, apart from one brief visit to Santiago. But it's quite it, again, Santiago was a pilgrimage that was in decline until quite recently. It's been regenerated in the, in, mo, in the modern day, partially at least by not just by activities of the Catholic Church, but by the, the Spanish national and regional authorities that have put in a lot of effort into promoting Santiago as a kind of cosmopolitan ecumenical phenomenon and a place of cultural transformation. Um, and particularly the Galician regional authorities have done this to a great extent. Um, particularly, again, in ho- when Catholic holy, holy years, when they have, for example, created mass- even <coughs> mascot, pilgrimage mascots and so on that are stuck up even at the cathedral and so on. And it has been particularly... That something that has boosted Santiago de Compostela was its designation first as a cultural patrimony for harmony site by UNESCO in 1985, along with it being a World Heritage City, and then in 1993, World Heritage status given to the pilgrimage route as well. It, it was also declared by the Council of Europe as the first European cultural itinerary. That was, I think, in 1993, around 93 as well. And all of this has helped boost its international uh, profile. It's been heavily marketed as such, and it has acquired large numbers of pilgrims as a result. The, the numbers of pilgrims going to Santiago has risen dramatically. Now, when, you t- when I was talking to people in the various regional offices there recently, they were all saying it's, you know, the, the, particularly the heritage, the World Heritage designation has been crucial to this. And that image has been picked up by the people in Shikoku. Um, it's a good example, in other words, of copying. And of course, the people in Shikoku have seen this as a precedent. If you can declare one pilgrimage, site, pilgrimage as a World Heritage site, then you can do it for another. And in fact, they have been, there has been a lot of traffic with sh- uh, Japanese people going to Santiago <coughs> to do fact-finding, to talk to the authorities and so on. There's been a lot of this uh, going on in recent times. And in fact, just in um, one, one of my series of interviews in Shikoku with people from one group, the Omotenashi Network, which is a non-profit organisation funded by Shikoku businesses to promote the campaign, uh, heritage campaign, um, they were planning a visit to the time to San- Santiago, so they thought, because I was a pilgrimage expert, that I ought to know all about Santiago, and they pumped me for information. Of course, I didn't really know anything about Santiago, but you know, that never quite stops me from giving advice. Um, you know, 
as one does. Um, and interestingly, their website, when it first came up, besides being in Japanese, of course, it, it's first the other language it was in wasn't in English, which you'd expect, but yes, Spanish. It's now, they've now added a, a Jap, uh, an English stripe as well. These applications submitted to uh, the Ministry of Culture by the Shikoku authorities uh, in December 2007 refers rep on a number of occasions to the validation or the accreditation of the Camino of Santiago de Compostela and uses it as a means of validating Shikoku uh, campaign uh, application. What's interesting in the application itself, it's a 44-page document in Japanese, which gives a very brief history of the pilgrimage, noting that it has its faith in its roots in the faith in a Buddhist figure known as Kobodaishi, who was born in Shikoku in 775, and according to this, travelled around Shikoku in his youth, and, and is central to the pilgrimage. But after that, very short initial uh, introduction, the application mentions omits terms such as shukyo, religion, shinko, faith, and at no stage mentions Japanese terms like reigen or kiseki, which are the terms for miracle. Rather, the application emphasises the pilgrimage's local uh, location in the natural surroundings of Shikoku on a number of occasions, the old streets and traditional houses and buildings that the pilgrimage route passes, the cultural assets and artistic treasures along the route, and so on and so forth, and the fact that it passes through many, many, so many towns and districts in the island that it provides a focus for unity and identity. And, it and it, the pilgrimage dis is described as a living cultural property, Ikita Bunkai Bunka Shisan. And they talk about Henrono Bunka, or Henro Bunka, the pilgrimage culture, uh, and of the need to preserve it for future generations. This, kind of, these ter this terminology has pervaded the heritage campaign in many respects. And in fact, when I talked to government officials in particular, they talked about the use of these terms and talked about how they were deliberately chosen to avoid any notion of faith, religion, and so on. Because, of course, to talk about those things would contravene Japanese law for the government agencies concerned, but also because they realised that this would not be a suitable selling point to the wider public. As it happens, the in a sense, the heritage application has been framed around discarding the religious heritage that the pilgrimage has in Shikoku, has had in Shikoku. Um, I should just note on that point that uh, in Shikoku there is a Studies have shown that, that the pilgrimage forms, if you like, the, the basis of most folk religion, if you could use the term folk religion, in, in the island. But it's being discarded in favour of talking about culture and heritage. Now, the initial application was rejected by the Ministry of Culture because they, they had... Better, they thought they had better priorities to put forward to UNESCO, although it, the campaign goes on and it will be resubmitted when it's been reworked. It sounds a bit like applying to the AHRC or something, doesn't it, in, this, in those contexts? 
But the term, but it's interesting to note that this whole issue has been picked up very wide. Just about every university in Shikoku has now got on its books courses about the pilgrimage culture of Shikoku. As a cultural facet where students study, go walk bits of the pilgrimage, and they talk about it always as a pilgrimage culture and, and so on. And I, I recently picked up some material from one Naruto Kyoiku Dangaku. Naruto is a town in Shikoku, University of Education, which talks about the courses and the programs that are going on at the university, including exhibitions, the, the plan to build a museum connected with the with the pilgrimage, all of these things that are part of the pilgrimage culture, and it describes the pilgrimage as Zenkoku Kanko Burando, a nationwide tourist brand. A brand, but, and so they use, they're utilizing, they, they also talk at the same time about the economic deprivation of Shikoku and saying how this tourist brand, this cultural heritage brand, can be used to nurture human potential to support and revitalise Shikoku society. Um, I'm just to say that this is... Um, I've focused on that at some length because it seems to be... The, this seems to reflect a trend that is going uh, across in, in, uh, in global terms, where, like in Santiago, where the focus on cultural heritage, tourism and so on, has become part of the potent potent feature of the modern representation of the pilgrimage, the same sorts of things are happening in Chicago. And in a sense, the Chicago authorities have looked at Santiago and are imbibing some of those ideas. I think we can see this in other parts of the world as well, but I haven't got time to go into that if I want to finish with in decent time. So I suggest that one contemporary trend in pilgrimage is its sanitised transformation into a cultural artefact and heritage tour. And another, which I think relates to this, is the development of what we call pilgrimage theme parks, in which not only are the unseemly or the irrational bits and pieces taken away from, inverted commas, real pilgrimage sites, but that the encumbrances and inconveniences of the travel itself are removed. And when we see the processes of sanitisation and heritageization drawn together, a factor evident in pilgrimage theme parks such as the Holy Land Experience, which was a pilgrimage theme park opened in Orlando, Florida in 2001. And there are other examples of this around the world, including I read recently a, a plan to build a similar type of pilgrimage theme park in Haridwar in India, a Hindu theme park. The one in uh, Orlando was developed as an inverted commas living bi biblical museum to cater for the needs of uh, Americans who, according to York Rowan, who's written about this site, have a long tradition and appetite for images of the Holy Land, a fascination with biblical imagery, and a reluctance to travel long distances overseas. Partly, of course, for economic reasons, but because, of, because a lot of Americans, I know it's 90% or so, don't own passports. And, of course, they're not always willing to visit the Middle East anyway for various strange reasons. As a result, a number of replica sites have developed in the US to enable the Americans to experience the biblical region and its pilgrimage sites without going there. Now, of course, that process of replication is a recurrent theme. 
probably an understudied, no, not probably, definitely an understudied theme in pilgrimage studies in general, because we have loads, of course, of replica sites around the world, Lourdes sites are everywhere, you know, right in the set, you can get, you can, you can visit the Lourdes shrine in the centre of Tokyo, if you know where to look for it, and so on, or in the Bronx in New York, and that pattern of replication is found around the world. And in a sense, the Orlando Holy Experience takes this one step further by linking it also to themes of heritage and sanitisation. Because what the Holy Land Experience does is eradicate any semblance of the real. It presents American pilgrims with the chance to experience the authenticity of the Holy Land in a way that totally domesticates it and tailor it to American tastes. You can get drinks suited to the Americanized images of the, of the Middle East, such as refreshing camel coolers. But you can do this without the hassle of the sorts of things that always spoil pilgrimage sites, like the people. <laughs> this is a holy land without the Jewish or the Muslim inhabitants who actually constitute the population of the actual place, devoid of the vestiges of their cultural presence, which might spoil the image of a Catholic sacred place of harmony, and, of course, devoid of all the the, the tensions that actually surround the Christian places of worship in the Holy Land, where there are all sorts of disputes about who owns or who, who oversees different places. Now, the Holy Land experience is not an isolated case. I've been to similar things in sorts of things in Japan, various holy, uh, holy Land theme parks, such as in Kurume in Kyushu, in the southern island of Kyushu, um, a replica of the main Indian Buddhist site of Bodh Gaya, where one can see a replica of the main temple and experience this sacred Buddhist place without the need to confront the dust and the heat and the crowds of India, and so on and so forth. Um, and indeed, that theme parkization idea is even starting to creep into Shikoku pilgrimage literature. One recent website I was looking at that was promoting the heritage campaign talked about Shikoku as Japan's number one theme park. So we're seeing, you know, the UNESCO campaign and modes of representation are stripping away the religious elements of pilgrimage and turning it into an increasingly tourist and cultural activity. Uh, And in a sense, places like the Holy Land experience and the Indian and the Japanese idealised representation of Bogaya are stripping away another level of pilgrimage by removing the sweat and inconvenience and so on. And in a sense, they're kind of fitting postmodern, I think, representations of pilgrimage that represent the, uh, that, that mirror the idealised pictures of uh, pilgrimage, uh, pilgrimage that have been shown in, say, Shikoku posters and so on that I alluded to earlier on. But they get rid of the awkward realities, the crowded streets, etc., etc., the highways, and provide a a sanitised, readily assimilated version of pilgrimage suited to modern needs and comfort. There is one further stage, however, in this process. If pilgrimage is ever more a commodity, coterminous with convenience, consumerism and so on, it is also increasingly a pleasant 
tourist activity. Now, of course, we all know that tourism has been... We've talked about this before, that tourism, pilgrimage, you know, they've always been intertwined. The first, probably the first ever tourist office was developed by the city of Venice in the medieval period to assist pilgrims and deal with their complaints and so on. We know the first package tours appeared with Venetian tours to the, mid, uh, um, to the, to the Holy Land. And in Japan, the first package tours developed in the 16th, 17th century as package tours to Issei to do the pilgrimage. But in a sense... In more modern times, it, the association with pilgrimage between pilgrimage and tourism, I think, has gone a set stage further with pilgrimage places being promoted as tourist and holiday destinations, and and often as cheap and affordable forms of uh, tourism. Uh, the Galician Tourist Board, for example, now advertises the Santiago pilgrimage via its Bono Jacobus Tourist Service as a form of holiday through which to enjoy what it calls rural tourism, through which one can walk along the pilgrimage route, staying in various rural lodges along the way, encountering rural people, experiencing the cultural rural sights and feelings of Galicia, and not carrying your baggage, because that gets carried from lodge to lodge by people. And, of course, it emphas- the, the, this literature emphasises the pilgrimage route as a heritage site. Something that, interestingly, is now appearing in Japanese literature. You can now get Japanese-guided tours of a similar sort to the Santiago de Compostela pilgrimage, which is being advertised in Japan not as a pilgrimage connected with Catholicism, but as a cultural heritage tour. And interestingly, I gave a lecture in Japan a couple, about a few years ago where I was talking about Santiago in these terms, and talking about how there had been a decline or in, a downplaying of religious faith and an t- upturning of kind of culture and so on. And I found this lecture got reported in the Yomiuri newspaper, and then I found that a quote from me then appeared on the website of one of the major Japanese tour companies saying... You can now, Japanese people can now go on the, t- the pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela because you don't have to be a Catholic, so says English scholar Ian Reader. <laughs> I guess that could count as impact in the modern jargon. <laughs> anyway, so pilgrimages are increasingly being advertised as in contemporary holiday media, as, uh, as such. In 2000, October 2009, October the 17th, 2009, The Guardian in its travel section, um, had a feature on cheap holidays, and one of them was the pilgrimage to Santiago. It provided, we are told, a good walking route with cheap accommodation along the way via pilgrim hostels, and with 2010 being a holy year, this was an ideal holiday opportunity. Later, January 2010, The Guardian returned to this sort of theme with 30 fantastic new trips for 2010. And these included the Kumbamala pilgrimage in India uh, and Santiago. And we, we I mean, there are, there are various, I've got some more examples from Santiago, the Camino Walk Service and so on, which again talk about a pilgrimage as a kind of cheap and holiday, as a pleasant holiday. And again, we're seeing similar things being replicated or mirrored in Shikoku. Even in the 1930s, the pilgrimage was first advertised as a popular hiking route, as a way to get away, and so on. 
In recent times, NHK has picked up the theme. In 2006, it broadcast a series of programmes called In the Shumi Yuyu, or Pleasurable Hobbies series, about the pilgrimage, in which it focused on the pilgrimage as a pleasant form of hiking, suitable as a hobby pursuit that could be done at one's leisure. They focused on practical advice, etc., etc., and talked about the pilgrimage as a means of keeping fit and healthy, and nothing to do, of course, with faith and so on. Um, Interestingly, people who published the book said that they got all sorts of uh, inquiries from people afterwards, and they were all about where do we buy suitable hiking shoes and things like that. Nobody ever asked them anything about the kind of meanings of the pilgrimage. This process seems to be being pushed further forward now by what's appearing on the internet, where the depiction of pilgrimage as a form of tourism and indeed as a form of theme park seems to be coming uh, to the fore. And I mentioned this earlier on with another non-profit organisation involved in the Chicago Heritage Campaign describing not just describing uh, Shikoku, didn't sorry, it wasn't Japan's greatest pilgrimage uh, theme park, it's the world's greatest theme park. But it also says very strongly that the modern focus of the Shikoku pilgrimage has changed to the extent that sports, health and exercise are at its heart and health has replaced faith as its main focus. In such ways... The Shikoku pilgrimage is being reformulated, reformulated as a brand, a theme park, a holiday, hiking and heritage trail. In this talk, I've obviously focused on some modern trends in pilgrimage that are being replicated in a variety of concepts, uh, contexts and so on. Now, none of this is intrinsically new. We know that tourist dimensions have always been there. We know that Issues of cultural splendour and so on have always been a motivating factor. We know that pilgrims have always seen what they wanted to see and so on and have shut out the unseemly and unpleasant. I just think that while there were overlaps in the past, I think we've seen a progression now, an increasing erosion of the boundaries, say, between religious and tourist travel. And I do think that these modern tendencies are shifting the focus and changing the shape of pilgrimage in global terms, sanitising it and turning them into culturally appropriate and accessible showpieces that remove the unseemly, the irrational, the uncontrolled, the leg braces, the crutches and so on, uh, or indeed the unsettling images of local people and uh, and whatever else that we saw with the Holy Land experience. From being religious events steeped in miracles, tales of wonder and encounters with saints and healings, pilgrimages are becoming increasingly embedded in a secular sphere that are being transformed into into thoroughly modern events and experiences into cultural heritage tours through which the pilgrim is able to avoid any notions of faith. And I would suggest that that is probably the modern dynamic of pilgrimage. And indeed, I would suggest as a result, in these terms, any kind of differentiations that we might have made in the past between religious and non-religious, or indeed religious and non-religious pilgrimage, or religious and secular pilgrimage, all these things that have been debated in pilgrimage studies, these are becoming increasingly invalid. In a sense, I, I would suggest that the future of pilgrimage is tied up with heritage, images of heritage, pleasure, tourism and hobbies and so on. And we're going to see more and more cases where 
pilgrimage authorities remove any signs of the miraculous from their sites, tidying them up to eradicate any odour of superstition. And in this process, and this is a point I haven't got onto, but I've written about it in another context, when I've written about pilgrimage exhibitions that have been a big thing in Japan these days. In this process, sacred icons and statues will increasingly become items to be displayed in museums and exhibitions, to be talked about for their aesthetic qualities and their, sim- their value as symbols of, of heritage, rather than for the rumoured miraculous virtues and spiritual powers that were once seen as their main drawing power. 